Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist Podcast. For more episodes, go to www.footballpurist.com and you can also find us at iTunes. Injury time, and there will be four minutes of it. Traore, that came off Garcia, and has gone all the way over to Friend. Friend with a good cross. Oh, and it's in! Middlesbrough have levelled! Martin Derone has headed in! Look at those Saints! They believe right to the end here. And in the first minute of injury time, Martin Derone scores his first Middlesbrough goal to get them what could well be a massive and wholly unexpected point. Match day 11 has just reached 90 minutes, but before we go into stoppage time, let's go ahead and look at the lighter side of football. Today in the lighter side of football, we're going to be talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. In a recent interview with Coach Magazine, he was asked who his biggest influence on his career was. So, here are your options, guys. Did he say A, family? B, a specific coach or group of coaches. C, a player he admired or played with. Or D, himself. Jeff, what do you think he said? (laughs) I know what he said because I saw this quote fly by, watched it sort of real time. So for sure he picked himself because who else would Cristiano Ronaldo pick but his self? And I believe it was Sid Lowe on ESPN FC that talked about, well, there's some reason for this. Like he is, he puts a lot of, focus on fitness and his physical attributes. So as a player, it's more about his commitment, less about his lack of respect for the coaches around him or his other teammates that help him win. But I just couldn't help but chuckle. Gives me the gigs. Jeff, you didn't even let Nick have a shot. Nick. <laughs> no, I, I, I won't even come in because I wholeheartedly agree. But just on that <laughs> subject, I've got, I've, got, I've got a quick story. I don't know if it, it's being sold in America, but I don't know what they've described as, but you know them like muscle toning machines. They you don't people that are too lazy to go to the gym where you just put it around your waist and it apparently gives you a six pack if you just sit there on yes, the electrodes yeah. and stuff like. Um, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo's got his own version of them out for Christmas. They've really? been sold in Europe. Yeah, I saw them advertised on Sky Sports today. So okay, well, so just make Cristiano. sure you give me your address, uh, Nick, and I'll I'll go ahead and yeah. send you one. Yeah, football purist. Everyone a football purist. That's my Christmas present, okay? <laughs> West, Ham winning, West Ham winning a game as well would be on my Christmas list, but that's never going to happen, so we, we'll, forego, we'll forego that one. So was... Cristiano Ronaldo's a self-entitled prick, basically. <laughs> I, when, when I was in Peru in 2013 visiting family, there were so many billboards of him. I It was ridiculous. Even in the most remote places, I saw Cristiano Ronaldo smiling at me. So Right. He, he's the Hugo Chavez of football. I, I Very think, simple. I think we're okay with that. Let's go ahead and move on. We're officially in stoppage time. We head into stoppage time minutes. Welcome to stoppage time. I am your host, Jimmy. I am here with just a couple of panelists today. We got Jeff from Cafe Football. Jeff, how are you doing? So great to be here. Hey, Jimmy. Thank you, Jeff. Always a steady rock. And another steady rock of this program is Nick Davis. Davis, Nick, how Hello. are you doing? You're all right. How is everyone, right? Good. Good. And of course, he is from Let's Get Hammered Football. And not at McDonald's this time. <laughs> yeah, precisely Just to in get my own record. home or someone else's home. But... <laughs> all <laughs> right. So in this week, we've had multiple games of statements, statements being made, uh, a couple of draws, the big London Derby. 
let's go ahead and move on into the weekend roundup. It's the weekend roundup. So the first game we're going to be talking about today is the London Derby, the biggest game this weekend, Arsenal versus Tottenham, with some implications in the title race. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and start us off? So coming into this one, Arsenal 75 wins, Tottenham 55. This is after this is the 179th North London Derby, right? 48 draws, um, 75 wins for Arsenal, 55 for Tottenham. Really going hard on my stats. <laughs> this was a game of, I think, kind of a snoozer um, in terms of not a lot of high scoring. Tottenham stingy as usual with their defense. A lot of missed chances for both sides, right? So Loris and Petrcek had really strong games as keepers. There's several missed chances by Kane. Uh, the one unlucky had her in the first half. Ozil off the cross from Sanchez, then the lovely, lovely ball to Walcott. Boom, off the bar. Finally, an own goal by Wimmer of all people sets him ahead and this from Ozil's aerial ball in. And then Kasholny committing the penalty on Dembele. There was some argument back and forth. Was it a penalty or not? For sure it was a penalty. And Erickson had another solid strike saved by Czech. Um, Danny Rose's perfect ball into Kane, broken up at the last minute. Hugo Loris, what a game. So classic North London Derby. I'm sure it was entertaining from the standpoint of it was a contentious match, but not a lot of goals that went in. So probably unlucky that Arsenal came out with more than, you know, or just one point from this one, probably deserved three. And Tottenham with Kane, different side. Definitely. Nick, what are your first thoughts about this game? I, I have um, obviously seen a lot of North London derbies playing the know-it-all again, but it wasn't one of my favourites. Usually they're quite intense games, but this felt a lot softer, a lot more of like a strolling game, if you like. There wasn't that much incident, really. I mean, Spurs started, started all right. The first 15 minutes, I'd say it was pretty even. Then Arsenal, second half of the first half, were a lot stronger. And obviously, they've nicked the goal to go in front. But then Spurs come out second half and really gave um, Arsenal a little bit of a going over. But I really thought it was a drab game. So for someone, I was down the pub last night, shook off after I come back from football. And we was all saying how much we was buzzing for this North London derby. What? Because what? the two teams in terms of quality and standard are really close together now. And I just thought it was a massive letdown, really. Nick, who was this result yes. better for? Um. I'd say probably Arsenal because they keep their unbeaten run going. And I think Arsenal, come. I've still got a lot of question marks about Spurs, where their goals are going to come from. Obviously, now they're going to be missing Deli Alley for a couple of weeks because Pochettino said he's picked up a dead leg, dead leg. So he's going to be missing the England games next week and probably a couple of Spurs games. But they've got Harry Kane back now. He was pretty much ineffectual. Well, our first game back for six weeks, right, he scored the penalty. But a lot of their goal scoring weight is carrying on um, Harry Kane's shoulders. You've got Vincent Janssen not doing it for him. And they haven't got that many other forward players, really. So I'd say Arsenal would be happy with that result, even though they were at home, but they kept their unbeaten run going. They haven't lost to us since they played Liverpool first game of the season. So, yeah. Jeff, would you agree that this is a better result for Arsenal? Yeah, I would. so I would say that Tottenham probably deserved more points than Arsenal. They're both unlucky to come out of it because it was such a tight game. But if you think about it, the only one putting balls in the back of the net was Tottenham, <laughs> whether it was off of an old soul cross or from the penalty in the, in the box. So I, I disagree with that. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to the next game. West Ham for Stoke city. 
this is um kind of kind of for West Ham coming back teetering over that regulation zone, but going against a, an informed Stoke City team. Do you think this was a good result for them, Nick? Well, it comes to that time of the podcast again where I have to choose my words very carefully if I want to win points. <laughs> but um, I can't work West Ham out at the moment. I really can't. They've got the same problem as Spurs. A striker hasn't scored for them this season. They've got so many strikers on their books. Zaza, I think, will be going back in January because if you look at it, yesterday started on the bench and didn't didn't get on. So he was our marquee striker summer signing in terms of we pay if he plays a certain amount of games, we're gonna have to pay twenty million pounds plus from him from Juventus. But when you think that we've uh, put on Ashley Fletcher, who's a young kid, has only got experience in League One football, that shows you what Billich must think of uh, Zaza's opening performances. And Adrian on the on the goal made a mass made a massive lapse, and I wouldn't be surprised for our next game after the international break against Spurs that Darren Randolph will come in, who is I really like Adrian. He, he's done really well for us, but the situation when you've got two quality goalkeepers like West Ham have got proper quality goalkeepers, obviously you can only play one. It's not like you've got two centre halves that you can't fit them both into the same team and. Randolph's not going to want to sit on the bench for the whole season, so that could be um, a decision, selection decision that I think Billich will make in that's the Spurs a, game. That's a big call, a, a keeper change. Jeff, what are your thoughts on this game? I would have to agree with Nick on bringing Randolph in. Adrian has been hot and cold. He's you know performed well in certain moments, and he's also embarrassed himself, kind of Claudio Bravo style in key games, this one included. So for West Ham, Billich talked about it being a sloppy game. First half, especially second half, a lot more sound, but not a ton to be proud of for either side, especially West Ham. Mighty Joe Allen coming in with his four goals in the Premier League off of his transfer from Liverpool being in the season, summer transfer window. Probably both teams not proud of this one and both came away with a point. Go figure. Jim, can I just come in with a quick one quick point? Yeah, Nick, go ahead. If you if you look at West Ham's next five of their next six fixtures, right? They got Man United in the Cup, Man United in the league, Spurs, Liverpool, and Arsenal. That's their next run of fixtures. So you you're looking at Christmas time, getting towards Christmas week, uh, and West Ham could be in could be in real trouble. They need a result yesterday, big time, because that was one of their e- easier fixtures when you look at their running, and we didn't get it. So and I do realise we said we. I've said we again about a million times, but I just ignore it now. <laughs> yeah. my, 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 my brain just blocks it out because I can't do it, Jim. I can't do it. Well, allow me allow me to add some points to your total, Nick. I mean, you are playing. You mentioned that you're playing United twice, so you are playing United. Yeah, I think you'll be okay. Oh. oh, I don't know. We'll we'll actually be looking at at Man Man United's game in a little bit. Let's go ahead and move on to the next game. One of the big statement games here Chelsea versus Everton Chelsea with a huge 5-0 win Jeff start us off wow you would think the defensive shift to three in the back I don't think they've been scored on yet uh, that's through three matches I want to say so what a performance has our Costa both in the top three of Premier League goals now Costa with nine Hazard with seven so Lovely strikes from all of them and really exposed 
Everton's defensive frailties, Jagielka in the back, and you could just go on down the line. You've got five total in the back between Oviedo, Oviedo, Mori, Ashley Williams, Seamus Coleman should have had a straight red in the 17th minute, came in late with his studs up. Come on, guys. But Conte has really gotten that side. So very interesting, the hero or zero personality of Chelsea over the years. So you had Mourinho winning the league a couple years back. Then one of the most dramatic collapses of a team in a season. Now you've got Conte in who's battling for the league and contending for the league. And after a performance like that, it's really tough to deny him. So good on Conte. And it's really good to see some of the Premier League's top talent performing and performing at a high level. You're right. We did see Chelsea with a very strong start at the beginning of the season. Then they had a little lull where it looked like they were going to be nowhere near the top contending for the title. Now they're back. Well, they were momentarily back on top. Nick, what do you think? I think um, now that Conte has got his shape in place, he's got the players that he wants and he can play three at the back, which was his preferred system with Juventus. And that's his preferred method of playing. We're really seeing Chelsea become, become a force. And I'd rather, at the moment, I keep changing my mind on a weekly basis, but I'd say that they're favourites. He's, he's made David Luiz look like a player rather than <laughs> an absolute clown. Which Kenny I think G. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. Sorry, Nick, keep right. on going. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the biggest compliment I can pay to him. But equally, it just shows you what a motivated Eden Hazard and Diego Costa can do. Because obviously they had their issues with the previous management, Mourinho, blah, blah, blah. But now they seem to be motivated and playing playing for the manager. They look like absolute terrorists. And Everton are, are not a poor side, but they were made to look average yesterday. So yeah. um, can I, um, I was re- I'm reading the Pep Guardiola, a, bit, a bit of the new Pep Guardiola book. And he said, he said that the coach that he fears most coming, coming into the Premiership is... Um, Antonio Conte, he said that he's his biggest threat in terms of winning the league. So that speaks volumes, I think. Nick, who do you think is Chelsea's most important player at the moment? If if one player were to come out right now, that might derail their their momentum. Costa, at Hazard. Mo- at the mo- at the moment, you've got to say Hazard. But equally, you've got to look at the players that are not playing. You've got to look at William, Oscar. So they've got strength in depth, and also which play plays in their favour, which is also a bonus point or a bonus for Liverpool is they've got no European football. So Conte can plan from Saturday to Saturday. He's got no midweek football. So he can plan for one game a week, which was an advantage for Brendan Rodgers a couple of years ago with Liverpool, which I think is a massive bonus. When you're probably playing one game a week, it makes things, things a lot easier. That's true. Jeff, same question to you. Most important player in Chelsea right now. I think talk about the Conte on the pitch, not the one coaching, but the one playing. Because they are dominating the midfield. That's what makes Conte, the coach's system work, is that they flood the midfield and Conte's owning it with the K. So, yeah, I think he's one of the most important players of the pitch. And then the system is availing so many strike options in front for Hazard, for Costa. Beautiful finish from Costa, uh, the one-legged across the box. So a lot to love from this match if you're a Chelsea supporter. That's right. Let's move on to our next match, which was also another statement from Liverpool. Back top of the table. Um, I, I say back. Were they were at the top of the table maybe in the first week. I don't even remember. But Liverpool now top. 
with a big statement win against Wofford, which could have been said was a bogey team back in the past. Nick, what are your first thoughts on this game? Well, Liverpool were fantastic again. They were fantastic. They got they got so much attacking flair that um, I feel I think at the moment on form and on long term performances, Philip Philip Coutinho is the best player and best player, one of the best players in Europe and the best player in the Premiership. The only question I've got about Liverpool, apart from the defending, is they train obviously at this high pressing, intense style, and whether, it's whether they can keep this up for thirty at thirty eight games over thirty eight games, because surely I I think in terms of fitness and intensity of training, that's the only thing that Klopp's got to get right. Is there's got to be a point where he puts the handbrake on a little bit, because when it, when you play through a winter in England. I don't know. I just don't know whether they can. I mean, they're fantastic at the moment. And like, they're my favourite team to watch at the moment. But it's whether they can keep this intensity of pressing and attacking style up. That's a very good point. But after eleven games, they're still doing it. That that might point some good signs for them in their in their favour. But Jeff, what do you think? Well, I think they're getting prepared for January, which is going to be an impactful month for the club. It's going to test their depth, especially with Mane out for African Cup of Nations. Thankfully. Joel Matip is staying home and you even got Dejan Lovren for all of the maligning from the last match to now and him refusing to go on international duty. It sounds like with the Croatian national team, there's been kind of a running feud back and forth with the head coach there, but they're going to need to add depth in the January transfer window. They've already talked about adding a winger, potentially looking at Pulisic, among others around uh, around the world, uh, Pulisic from Borussia Dortmund, obviously, but obvious, you know, just as obvious, he's a big star. He's gonna be tough to pry away, and at what fee? So they've got a lot to build in terms of the depth and winger, and I think even center back, Lovren for all of his exposure, and Mamadou Sacco on the out looking in, probably getting sold in January. I agree with Joey Fishney from the Talk On podcast. He believes that a center back is coming in. I, I happen to agree with him. But for this match, wow, what an amazing performance. It's great to handle all the transfer window stuff on the front end, but 27 goals in the Premier League, you just do not see that. And it's for Liverpool supporters of which I'm one, so I'm not going to use the we, but I'm still going to go <laughs> deep on what, what was just seen on television by worldwide audience. 27 goals, six goals in this one, greater than the five conceded over the last seven matches in total for Watford. For most of the match, they just run around the field, the attack, the spacing, the passing, and how the attack knows the distance to pass to one another. I mean, it's just crisp, clinical, beautiful. Ten, 10 different Liverpool players on the score sheet in the Premier League this season, which is just unheard of. You, if you were to look at stats between them and, say, Chelsea, which we just talked about, you've got two from Chelsea in the top three for Premier League goals. But with Liverpool, it's a little deceiving because you got 10 who are scoring. It's just insane. And it's really starting to make the 13-14 season for Liverpool look pedestrian. A lot of fans, you know, hold that up. It's much vaunted as the best performance for Liverpool in a long time. I think many are going to look at, you know, this particular campaign, 15-16, as how this gets done, how uh, how the league potentially gets won. And amazing performances all from Adam Lallana, Philippe Coutinho. You could look at even towards the back, you know, Bobby Firmino, of course, 
James Milner all over the pitch again and very tidy defending Lucas Leva in for the sick Dejan Lovren and Joel Matip, the cool customer. Once again, of course they conceded one, but you could very are very easily argue that they were bored at that point. <laughs> They're already at five nil. What, what could really be done over and atop that, that attack. So dripping bravo to live with optimism. Well Jeff, you are just dripping with optimism. Nick, Bring him down to earth, please. Just something. Bring him down to earth. It's the point that I made. I I don't know whether that, I I hope they do. I hope they do. But I just don't know whether they can carry on at this intensity. And um, Jeff kind of alluded to it there. Their squad's not as strong. Oh, I would argue as a Man City, at Arsenal, at Chelsea. So if you get two or three key injuries, things might fall apart. But at the moment. It's all going well for you. So I can't really dampen you too much. <laughs> game on. Let's move on to the final game of the weekend roundup. Swansea, Man United. Another statement win for Man United. Well, another statement win, period. This time coming from Man United would might have helped them out a bit. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and start us off here? Oh, I love starting off the analysis of United. <laughs> As a Liverpool supporter, full disclosure, it's fine. And I can use, use we in the sense. Great. They, they know it by ha- now, Jeff. We don't there you go. Know. Yeah, it's, it's it. patently they, obvious they know, at this they, point. They know it now. Yeah, Anyone yeah, that right. listens to this podcast on a regular basis. Yep. Sorry, listeners, United supporters. So Pogba's strike, it was lovely. But the always lovely Rebecca Lowe quotes, and this is why United spent $115 million for him. This is American dollars worth $89 million quid. Mm. No, thank you. <laughs> You need a lot more from Pogba than just that one strike. And the brace from Ibra kind of makes me feel like designer imposter body spray. It's like, you know, it smells nice, but I probably need a shower at some point. (laughs) I'm sure it did wonders for his confidence on the pitch. So good for him. But this game was over really in the first half. And you can see in sharp contrast to a Chelsea, a Liverpool, there really isn't much more beyond those three goals for. United, not not a lot more to love in their attack aside from those three goals in the first half. So ends up three nil, accomplished on the road. And Bob Bradley, how sad he's looking like the American version of David Moyes. No, oh, that's so bad for you to say that, but it's true. Nick, your thoughts, please. Which is becoming worse. He, Moyes, Moyes even came away with points this first win <laughs> this league. <laughs> it's amazing. That's true. Nick, your your thoughts. I mean, I mean, just pretty much summed it all up really I mean what can you what can you read into a win against Swansea not not a lot really um I mean I watched the Fenerbahce game in the week because I've got a friend who's a Fenerbahce fan but that's just by the by and they were terrible against Fenerbahce so um I'm just gonna I've got no real comment because there's not there's not real you can't go mad after after beating Swansea so the questions are still unanswered for me and time will tell with Man United, but quickly, quickly on Swansea. Um, is, what's Bob Bradley re- really done to improve? Is he? Is he won? I don't know. Is he won a game yet? I don't think he has. No, I don't think he's so, even got in the point. From from me, from a personal perspective, any team that's below West Ham and keeps on losing, I'm quite happy with. So I don't know really <laughs> whether Bob Bradley's going to make an impact. I'm sure he. I'm sure he is a good manager. I'm, I'm being very facetious, and that I'm, but. I saw a quote. He's not I, haven't, I haven't spoke about Bob Bradley on the podcast, but I saw a quote saying, 
I, I see Pochettino and I see Klopp in the Premiership. And I say, if I'm given the chance, I'm a manager at that level. So at the, at the moment, he's not really showing himself to be at that level. So, Bob, pull your socks up, mate. If you want to represent your country and your counterparts on this podcast in a good light, you've got to start picking up some points from somewhere. Well, the most important thing for Bob Bradley is for us to speak very nicely of him here on Stoppage Time. So he really needs to work hard for that. You're right, Nick. Yeah. Skeletor. <laughs> I told you before, Skeletor's his nickname out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just like Coming to done. a league, league two side near you. <laughs> We're, we're, we're done with the weekend roundup. And after the weekend roundup, there's only two of us here, Nick and Jeff. Jeff with 15 points, Nick with 14. Let's go ahead and move on to our more comedic section. Five-word advice. We are going to be talking about FIFA because FIFA, goodness. Let's have five-word advice for FIFA with all of its decisions of as of late that are just ticking off the world, such as the World Cup decisions in Russia and Qatar and the latest decision to not let the British nations wear any poppies anywhere on their kids during the World Cup qualifiers. So let's go ahead and just start off here. Nick, five-word advice for FIFA. I've only got one. Obsolete. Obsol- one word advice. There's no- yeah. <laughs> you don't even have advice for them. You're just saying one word. Yeah. That's it. That's me done. I'm out. <laughs> Jeff. You gotta flashy the cash. No, oh. no. We are put it in a pie. Do what you gotta FIFA. do, but you gotta gotta flashy. No, right? <laughs> to to I, FIFA, to UEFA, you name it. Flash the cash, and anything's possible. In oh. Russian, in, in Qatar, right? You can kill people building all the stadiums that they're building. But <sighs> I, I, there's really no driven. words for FIFA. It's is disgusting. There? There, there isn't, right? It's corrupt. AF. Oh, I should have asked you guys I'm, for an I'm, anagram I'm for complete. FIFA. There's a lot of fucks in there somewhere. <laughs> fucks. I, yeah, I there's two give Fs. Two, yeah, very I, easy. I couldn't give two fucks about FIFA, but I can two, put two in as an anagram. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think I think that's it. For for five-word advice for FIFA, just nothing. And as well, I, I'll just say, even the video game shit this year. I don't like the video game FIFA this year either, so I haven't really got, even got that going for <laughs> I guess we have to all uh, upgrade to Pro Evolution Soccer then. Yeah, yeah. I still remember when it was called Winning Eleven. I loved Winning Eleven. That you, you, quick fun fact: that was only in North America. Really? It's all—it's always been international superstar soccer or Pro Evolution in Europe. So in North America and Asia, it was called Winning Eleven. Well, no, it was—it was called was Winning it? Eleven in in South America too. I remember playing it on the PS2 in Peru. I was like, must have only—I must have only been in Europe. It was called Pro Evo then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember video, winning eleven. So, I but I guess that was game, just here, just for the Americas. Video game review podcast as well. You get it all. You get it all here on stoppage time. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to go for goal or go for the corner flag. Go for goal. Go for the corner flag. We have three topics we're going to be talking about. Let's just go ahead and start in the first one. We just lived the London derby, Arsenal versus Spurs. Both of you have mentioned that it wasn't as exciting as it could have been as it's been hyped over the past week, it's being mentioned that it's it's probably going to start attracting a worldwide audience. Has this derby transcended into something that's interesting for the entire world instead of just England? Jeff, what do you think? No way. That's NBC trying to hype it up to get a worldwide audience's aspirational comment more than something based in fact and reality. Arsenal perhaps has worldwide appeal. Spurs still a regional side and I don't think anything from the match that everyone saw today would attract more. 
they'd be struggling to keep up with the current audience of North London Derby. So no corner flag all the way. Nick, your thoughts. Um, I would go corner flag, but speaking from a personal perspective, I live literally really close to both Tottenham and Arsenal, and I've my my friends and family are mostly divided up as Spurs and Arsenal fans. And from a London, England sort of geographical perspective, this game is massive. This game is in terms of local rivalry, anything. It's but it's Barcelona Real Madrid on a smaller scale, but. The, the intensity and the passion of the rivalry is, and it's hard for you to, or the outs, outside of England, and out, outside of London. I mean, so I, I think it's a massive game, but Jeff made, Jeff made a fair point saying Spurs and Arsenal are not worldwide brands as of yet, like Liverpool, Man United. So it doesn't have that kind of ring to it, but locally and the intensity of the rivalry is massive in England. So just to get, put a different slant on things. And so, Nick, what do you think it would take for this derby to transcend into something that's more attractive for a worldwide audience? It would. Ta- I think it would take Spurs winning a couple of titles to raise, raise their profile in terms of a worldwide superpower, if you like. Which it fucking hurts me to say that because I hate Spurs and I, that, would, that <laughs> I hope that never. I hope that never happens. I hope they're a championship club before a Champions League club. Don't don't let it. They don't have any silverware. There's <laughs> nothing really to excited about. So. Just to give you a bit of context, I'm going to um, and it's game West Ham is against Spurs, and that that won't get any kind of traction. Your side of your side of the pond is in like a showbiz game. I, I can't even think of a better word. But in in my town, in my local area, that game that game's massive. That, that's my game of the season. We always get teased. We tease each other. West Ham and Spurs fans are like, this is our cup final. But if I could pick one game of season, to win, if West Ham could only win two games a season, it would be Spurs home and away. Seriously, there's, wow. su- there's such a rivalry between us. And yeah. if, if you ever come over here, you, you would understand and live, live my life. If, if, we, if we lost to Spurs, and it's the same for Arsenal losing to Spurs, you go to work on the Monday morning, and you, you you feel like locking yourself away for a week because you get so much teasing, so much stick. I come off if we if we last season we I'm going on a bit of tangent. Stop me, Jim, if I'm. But last season we lost four one to Spurs at White Hart Lane, and I come off Facebook for a week because I was getting text messages, phone calls. People will come into people will come into my door abusing me, like in, in a funny way. But it isn't, the intense rivalry between London clubs is massive, but right. it just doesn't you can't tap into your showbiz glitz glamour sort of situation. Okay, Jeff. What what would Sorry. attract you? No, that's fine, Nick. Jeff, what would attract you to this to this derby a little bit more? Since you say it, it didn't attract you as much, more goals, more scoring, more offense, and I don't think you're really going to get that with Pochettino in charge. Tottenham just plays a different game. They lead the league in team defense. So without that, without more scoreability, I mean, Arsenal can carve up a side. They've got the offensive movement for that, but it was obviously muted by Tottenham's D. So I, I don't think without the scoring, you're going to get the broad-based appeal that you would need in a worldwide audience. So You sound just like a typical American fan of soccer, Jeff, and I love it. I loved every second of that. <laughs> let's, but it's let's, called football. It, well, yeah, but you were asking for more goals and more action. Let, let's just move on to topic number two. But I, I loved every second of that, Jeff. Let's continue to speak about the train wreck that is Manchester United season. Um, 
I'm sorry, guys. That that was kind of mean. They just came off a good result this past weekend. But is the Europa League the best chance for United to make it to the Champions League this season? Go for goal. Go for the corner flag, Nick. Yes. I, I was so, um, go, I'll go for goal. I'm, I'm so on the fence about this one because if they pick up a little bit of form, that they could easily finish in the top four. But I just, I still think, I'll come back to the point I've made last couple of weeks here. I still think there's, there's no, there's, um, designated format or shape or, or the way that Jose wants to play. He, he still doesn't know his best 11, his best... Where, where we found out that Conte, look, now he's playing three at the back, got his players in place that he wants Chelsea going like a train. I still feel like, even though they've won this weekend, Man United are so far off the finished article. I, I think, I was talking to my friend who's a Man United fan last night, it's going to take two or three seasons for Man United to get to where they want to be under Jose Mourinho. Wow. And... Yes, I think they'll. Um, I don't think they'll because they're, they're struggling to get out of the group in the Europa League. If I'm right as well, so mm. I think they've got a job on to even even get into the knockout phase of the Europa Leagues. But I think they're not one of the four best sides in the Premier League at the moment. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Oh, this is easy. Go for goal. They're not going to. You have four teams ahead of them, just as Nick very acutely pointed out. Are they better than Liverpool? No. Are they better than Man City? Absolutely not. Are they better than uh, than Tottenham? Or, you know, there's just no place for them in the top four. The best they can hope for towards the end of the season is fifth place, sixth place, so they even have a chance at Europa League. So go for goal all day long. I don't think they're going to be able to do it, but uh, Fenerbahce back and forth. Fenerbahce beat them this last week. It's fantastic. <laughs> so good luck with that. And they're not going to, you've heard it here with that frontline attack of slowness v slowness, Ibra, you know, Pogba will probably find a better place in the side, more attacking options going forward, but they still have Rooney. They still have Ibra. And those, those dudes are not going to speed up towards the end of the season. Likelihood of injury high with Ibra particularly. So eh, Europa League all the way. Quick question since Nick brought it up for both of you. I'll start with Nick. Will Jose get two or three years at the job? I think there comes a point where unless things are going disastrously wrong, you've got to let someone bed in and put put something across for two or three years. Because what, what are they going to do? Just keep changing managers every season. But, I mean, there's got to be a point where you let him put foundations in. But I would, if I was in charge, I mean, I'd let him, within reason, put foundations in place and see what he can build it. I think he needs at least three or four transfer windows to get the players in, get the players out that he needs. Whether he gets the time, it's something completely different. Yeah. Jeff, what are your thoughts? No way he's lasting his usual tenure, two or three years. He'd be lucky if he finishes the January transfer window still in charge. Ryan Giggs is somewhere giggling his motherfucking ass off <laughs> at this kind of performance and Mourinho being sent up to the stands, total embarrassment for Manchester United. I agree with Nick that they haven't had a consistent presence, you know, consistent culture within the club since Sir Alex left. And just another chapter in that book. Moy has gone, you know, Van Hall, that, that disaster. And here we go with Mourinho proving himself to be just as terrible as he was exiting Chelsea within the first half at United. It's just a joke. Okay. I, I, sorry, Jim, just yeah. coming. I just think Mourinho's slightly outdated. His methods and way of coaching is slightly outdated and it's been shown up a little bit. 
Well, I, I guess we'll see what happens as the season goes on. But you, you might be right. You might be right, Nick. Let's let's move on to our next topic. This topic that I'm actually really interested to talk about. Let's talk about the MLS and Major League Soccer. Yeah, they're in the playoffs right now. In the first leg of the matchup between uh, New York City and Toronto FC, David Mia seemingly kicked out in anger and frustration after being muscled off the ball. He kicked out. He kicked someone in the back of the legs. The the referee was right there. He saw it. He called for foul, did not red card him. An independent panel determined the following week that Villa should have been red carded, but did not deem the kick out to be reckless enough for him to be banned for the second leg of the tie. So he went ahead and he played the second leg for New York City. MLS has been known to protect its quote-unquote star players in the past, and it was probably good for the league back then. You want to keep your star players on the field. But do you believe this type of action is still good for the league? Go for the goal or the corner flag, Jeff? Corner flag. I, I thought that that challenge particularly was despicable from David Villa. By the way, wouldn't it be cool to be the Dave? There's not Daves going on in MLS or Premier League around the world. It's too much David. I want to be the Dave. <laughs> Just a side point. Like, yeah, it, the the goal and focus to achieve parity in MLS, I, I think, is getting the better of the league and their identity around the world. They need to stop this crap and goes to their transfer policy, the ownership structure, which we discussed at nauseum last stoppage time. I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see a no retirement league for washed up stars, celebrities from Premier League and other places. And I'd also like to see them, you know, being more equitable across the league in terms of treatment of players, you know, balances out the salary and stop treating David Villa as some kind of celebrities, not. Got it. Nick, what are your thoughts? I'll just echo. I'll, I'll, I went into um, pretty much detail on this last week. I think MLS, decide, whether it decides it wants to be, I would term it a movie or a proper football league, really. I mean, I, I put forward what change I would like to make to the MLS and you you as seeing it week in, week out as your national or national league, surely change, change has got to, to make, it, make it improve because... At the moment, it is a retirement home, and doing things like this to protect your marquee signings in quotation marks is not a positive thing. So, yeah, I think the structure structure of MLS needs to change pretty much massively. Now, it's quite unfortunate that on display, this is what people got to see. This was what, what grabbed the headlines for the MLS for for the for the first leg of the playoffs after their wild card games. So, poor old MLS. Let's go ahead and look over the points, which do matter, even though we won't be having an elimination. Jeff with 23 points, Nick with 22. It's very well hotly contested here. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to... It is the final say. Our next segment, which is the final say. We are going to be doing something a little bit different again. We are not going to be having a debate, but here's the topic. Yaya Torre has finally told his agent that he needs to apologize for Pep for what he has said about the manager and the media. Torre apologized on his behalf earlier last week with quotes, I wish to apologize on behalf of myself and those who represent me to the management team and all those working at the club for the misunderstandings from the past. Those statements do not represent my views on the club or the people who work there. I have nothing but respect for Manchester City and only wish the best for the football club. Unfortunately for Yaya, his agent, Dimitri, refuses to apologize, even going as far as saying that Yaya's apology is not heartfelt. Poor Yaya. He's stuck here. 
Please relay for us a conversation between Yaya and Dimitri. What it's like right now with Yaya trying to get Dimitri to apologize. Let's go ahead and start with Jeff. I'm just going to quote Chad Ochocinco. Child, please. Child, please. <laughs> really amazed that we're still talking about this. That now you have an agent keeping Yaya on the bench. How many weeks floated by while the test of the peps continue? If any player wouldn't, A, fire their agent, or B, beat their door down to like curtail this kind of behavior beyond me. And now it hurts Yaya enough to actually say something and do something. Last few weeks of vacation or I'm sure getting old for him. Team's playing well. He probably wants in. Tired of hanging on the bench. But this culture of the vociferous douchebag between A.D. Ward and Raheem Sterling, Rayola, now Dimitri, said this many times. Agents to me should be more like linemen in the NFL, nameless, doing their work quietly, as quietly as they possibly can. But this culture personality is just a distraction. It's bad for the fans, bad for the league. And, you know, it gets amplified, of course, by the media. Represents the uglier side of the Premier League. And then they should be getting a nice watch after they win the Super Bowl and, and the good lunch being bought for them. Right, right, Jeff? Sure, sure. That's fine. All right. Nick, just what is- shut the agents up. <laughs> no one wants to listen to them. Nick, what is your dialogue? Well, I, I just think I, I would have sacked him by now. Uh, there would there would be no dialogue. I'd be like, find yourself a new uh, gravy train. To be fair, because who, who, who is who is this helping at the moment? I mean, I, I assume that Torre wants to be playing, or does he? Does he just want more birthday, a, a different birthday cake? They got him a chocolate one instead of a vanilla one, and and that's that's where the issues lie at this at this present time. But because I just I don't who who is this helping at the moment? It's not Man City don't care really because Yaya Torre's powers are kind of on the wane. If you like, he's getting older, and it's it, I th- I think it's sad because I, since he signed, whether it what was it then two thousand eleven, I don't know, but he's been sort of Man City's powerhouse and legend for the trophies that they've won while he's been there, and it's such a sad ending. So what should be uh, like a glorious final season if you like but it's just going to end on a sour note because Pep Pep for all we've all I've criticised him on this podcast not criticised him but my question marks over him is a um, strong-willed character and he's not I don't I don't think Torre will play for Man City again I don't I, I just don't know what, what the agent's end game is really or, or Torre's end game really that's unfortunate for, for them but Nick let me just be 100% sure you don't have a dialogue I'm like, I, I can't do comedy. I, I can't do it. I, I'll, try, I'll try my hardest, but I can't do it. I'm sorry. Jeff, you are the winner because <laughs> you actually completed the homework assignment. <laughs> by, by default. Thank by you. Default. I'll take the wins however I get them. It's fine. They all stack up. <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Give me your bragging time. Bragging time. Jimmy, thank you again for the opportunity to be on Stoppage Time. Nick, always great to have you on as well. So for Cafe Football, my bread and butter, as well as some of the other pods that I've been making appearances on, we've got Stevie Nickel coming, and there's going to be a preview article coming out on footballpurist.com. You're seeing a number of great, very strong articles from Chase Hazlip, from Brian Painter, from Stephen Luna, and the follow-ups for Seed Index for Talk On. So you're going to see another article from Cafe Football previewing 
Nichols' book and what we're going to dig into on the pod, as well as his appearance on the second part. A lot of fun stuff coming up for the Football Pierce Network. Definitely jam-packed, and we are very excited for the upcoming projects as well. This is Jimmy. I am your host signing off here. First off, I want to say I get by with the help of my friends. So thank you, Jeff, for being here. Jeff, where else can people find you? Cafe Football FP on Twitter. Frank Paul. And as Jeff has been mentioning to me many times before, there there should be a stoppage time Twitter coming up sometime soon. With Nick, all that extra time, yep, yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> Nick, where where else can people find you? Thank you for being on. At Wheelchair Sheen, at Get Hammered FP. And can I just put a, a quick like warning out, or someone can help me? If anyone can find or track down a Jack Davis, that's a, a Jack Davis. Um, I'll keep trying to contact him because we had a little podcast going a little while ago, but He's not picking up my calls or anything like that. So if anyone can find him out there in cyberspace, um, I Jack used to have a brother. otherwise known as your brother. Yeah, I used to have a brother. Uh, Jeff, just want to make sure, yeah. Yeah, but I just I don't know where he's gone. He fell asleep on the way home from football yesterday. I just, I've, I'm, yeah, so if anyone could track him down, get in touch with me, and we'll try and get that podcast out sooner rather than later. Nick, we'll make sure well, to... We could uh, be having a nap with a lady friend, uh-huh. just saying. Yeah, he's, feeling, he's, he's getting, getting married soon, so that might be... Or, or we could just go ahead and contact you with his agent, Nick, and we'll see how, how that works What, Dimitri, Dimitri Selleck? Oh, I see, where the problem, I see where the problem is now. Jack's taken up with Dimitri Selleck. <laughs> and I, I think from all of us here at Stoppage Time, we will be seeing you in a couple of weeks. We have an international break coming up. But until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.